Hello, everyone. I'm co-host Michael Wilkinson, and this is the 100 Alumni Voices podcast, Stories That Inspire, where we explore the personal and professional journeys of a diverse group of 100 doctoral alumni from Johns Hopkins University. Today, we're joined by Yasmin Nazari. She received her PhD in computer science from Johns Hopkins in 2021, is now a postdoc in Salzburg, Austria, and is soon to be an assistant professor at the University of uh, Amsterdam, the U Amsterdam. Uh, Yasmin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, so um, you're currently a postdoc, soon to be an assistant professor. Um, I think a lot of people see, you know, a PhD in CS, and CS is a very heavy pull toward the industry right now for a lot of reasons. Um, I saw that you even interned at Google in 2020 for four months, so it seems even kind of toward the end of your PhD, you were still exploring the industry. So that being said, what ultimately led you to the academia route, and what were the advantages you saw in academia that you maybe wouldn't get? in the industry that led you to that decision? Mm -hmm. uh, right. So uh, it's interesting because I think um, a lot of people uh, refine their decisions closer to the end of their PhD, but somehow I went the other way around. Like I was pretty sure I wanted to do an academic job for most of my undergrad and master's, but close to the end, I actually became more open to the idea of doing uh, an industry job. And especially I thought that maybe I should do an internship to get a real sense of it and realize if it's uh, something that I would be interested in. And in the end, I realized, yes, I could probably be happy also in certain industry jobs because I learned more about the kind of more interesting industry jobs that could also have components that somehow are related to research, even if not directly, but at least basically I could use my PhD knowledge for um, doing those kind of positions a bit. So um, basically I was kind of open to both ideas, except that um, I was kind of more comfortable with the academic environment and there were certain benefits. For example, it still seemed like um, I would be a little bit more free in the kind of research I could do in academia and um, also, I still like education. I still wanted to have more chance of teaching and mentoring. And I realized all of those were also possible in industry. And, you know, there were different kind of immigration barriers in the, the two sides. So it ended up taking an, a path more toward uh, academic. But I thought that I could also potentially be happy in some industry hmm. jobs. So you said uh, even from like your undergrad, you knew that you, you had a strong inclination that you wanted to go into like the academia route. What drove that? Because I, I think there's still people even who are kind of go into their PhD unsure. And there are some people who are like pretty sure from the start. And I think you were more so in, in the latter category. So I'm kind of curious, like what was like the driving force behind like, oh, this is what I know I want to do. Mm -hmm. So my research area is in the theoretical computer science, which is basically like the mathematical foundation of computer science. And somehow I actually 
came to computer science because it's connections to discrete math. And that's why it's always seemed to me like if I want to do the kind of computer science that was very close to math, I would have to be in academia, even though, of course, as as I learned more about possible industry positions, I realized maybe some of the things I find interesting could also be in industry. But I don't know, like ever since I was in high school, I was like obsessed with math and proofs and it seemed to me like academia might be the more uh, mm-hmm. relevant direction for doing these things. And, you know, so that's why from the beginning, I thought I would like to pursue a direction that is more theoretical, let's say. That makes a lot of sense. So um, I'm kind of curious, you know, having seen both worlds. So I know like I, so I do robotics and I think about this a lot when I'm thinking about industry or jobs is that um, I think a lot of students in programming based industries worry like, okay, I might not have like the specific languages or the specific processes that like this company is looking for and get really nervous about that. I'm curious in a CS academic route, if there are things not exactly like that, but kind of akin to that, where you're nervous that like, I don't have this specific skill set, but you kind of overcame that fear and still applied and still like went for it. Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, there's many of those things uh, also because research is a very multidimensional thing. So I think you will feel insecure about something in this whole multidimensional aspect of research. Mm-hmm. But I think in this specific area that I do, theoretical computer science, the main barrier for myself and probably some other people is that it looks like you have to be very smart to be able to succeed in it, or at least it kind of seemed like that to me when I was in undergrad, because um, at least back home, it seemed like a lot of students who went abroad to study in this area were Olympiad medal winners, and I did not have any Olympiad medals, and it seemed kind of intimidating to be in the same, uh, let's say, Uh, area as all these super smart people Um, Uh and well I didn't think I was as smart as them I think some people might be in the same situation and in fact this is an area that a lot of people in computer science are I think intimidated by for this reason Uh, but I think over time especially as I collaborated with more and more people including this smart people (laughs) I realized (laughs) that there's as I mentioned uh, a lot of different dimensions to succeeding in all areas including this area so I think intelligence maybe is one aspect and I think a lot of people have that level of intelligence if they're already interested enough to do this kind of work but there's many different aspects that could help you succeed Mm -hmm. Uh, that was maybe unclear to me earlier. Like I could see that everyone has some skills and some weaknesses and, you know, you just learn how to balance them well overall and make it through. Yeah. Like I know going through Hopkins, one of the things they kind of emphasize a lot in your first couple of years is like you might feel imposter syndrome and that's okay. And I think almost everyone does going into it. Like I'm at this really good university and I, I mean, I certainly feel like that. Like I'm not super intelligent like these other people. 
did kind of going through Hopkins and when you graduated out, knowing that you graduated from this place where you were supposed to kind of have this little bit of this imposter syndrome, did you feel more confident in your kind of abilities that you had and like more ready to face the world when uh, you left? Or did it kind of cycle back to that original feeling when you entered once you were leaving? Uh, yeah, so I think... In some level, like I was never particularly concerned about graduating, but I always felt like the path to actually getting an academic career or the kind of career that I really like, like maybe more research oriented industry jobs or uh, academic jobs is going to be very difficult and very competitive. And I think up until the point where I actually got such a position, I still had this insecurity not necessarily because of imposter syndrome alone but because it just seems like there's more people who graduate than uh, people who um, basically there's more people than there are positions but then I also found that um, people usually have a lot of other concerns uh, constraints that basically means that they don't even look at certain positions so for example I was open to uh, academic jobs, regardless of necessarily uh, whether it will be in a very high rank university. And I noticed if I don't insist on very high rank universities, I probably have a better chance. And I, for example, noticed that there's, again, more to uh, getting these jobs than the things that we can qual- uh, quantify very easily. For example, they care about how you present yourself or what your story is or how good you are at potentially mentoring people. Um, Yeah, so I think it's somehow never fully went away, but at least I learned that a lot of people feel feel the same way and maybe I managed to cope it better (laughs) over time. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, of the constraints you mentioned, um, one of them is basically the willingness to work in like a new country. Um, so I know like a lot of people when they get their PhD tend to hang out like in the country they got their PhD in, but you you ended up in Salzburg, which is super interesting. So I'm, I guess, at least for your postdoc and then you're going to be in Amsterdam, right, for your, for your mm-hmm. professorship. So, you know, how did you end up in Salzburg? Uh, was it just like previous connections or was it just kind of like this kind of scattershot applying mm-hmm. to labs that you liked? Um, and was there any, I mean, I know that you, you've weren't U.S. domestic originally, but was there any fear of like moving to another new place uh, for your mm-hmm. postdoc or not really? Well, in fact, Salzburg, Austria is the fifth country I'm living in. So at this point, it doesn't seem that intimidating anymore. I grew up in Iran. I moved to Canada for my master's. Then I did an internship in France and I moved to U.S. So at this point, the moving country bit became kind of okay, except that every time mm-hmm. I have to deal with immigration stuff is always a bit stressful um but uh, yeah so the other thing is at each stage i try to find a career uh option that works well and it took me to interesting places (laughs) that i ended up feeling attached to so for example salzburg the reason i came here is because uh, my postdoc host works on very related areas So I had uh, read his papers and worked on similar problems. So I knew that we could basically be productive and we kind of have the same kind of open problems that we like to solve. So more or less, it was really a natural choice, but it was a question of do I want to leave the U.S. or not? And it seemed like for various both 
you know, personal and uh, professional reasons, it's not a bad idea to move to Europe because there are some opportunities. Uh, and it's been probably a good decision. Uh, and also, yeah, it's an interesting uh, alpine city with a lot of mountains. So it's, it's, I didn't choose based on the city, but it's also interesting to explore something unexpected personally too. Yeah. Um, so I, I think a lot of people that go the postdoc route is kind of what you talked about of like, you know, having that connection or having someone who works kind of in that field you want to work in. Um, so I'm curious both for when it came to actually securing that postdoc position and then eventually getting your um, assistant professorship, you know, you mentioned more, more people than there are jobs, right? So what kind of methods did you find? We'll start with the postdoc of like, what methods did you find useful for actually like, securing that connection and like you know like making that a productive connection and then what methods did you find most useful for then when you went to actually apply for your assistant professorship and like securing that as well uh right so for the postdoc uh what i've noticed is that because it's like a short program um the fact that i work on very related stuff kind of helped because it seems like I'm interested to work with someone and they're equally interested to work with me because we both work on similar things. And I think somehow this helped me more than if I wanted to say, let me find the highest rank university that I can Mm. get into. Like I didn't even try (laughs) to go to universities based on their name. And I went based on the research area because I thought at this point, just having more uh, productive research is probably more helpful than university name and I think on the other side probably for someone who has a postdoc position this is also beneficial for them to give an offer to someone who works on very related stuff because that means in this short time they don't have to spend like half of that time just getting them to know what the specific area is about so I think basically being willing to move to this specific maybe unusual place but to work on something that I clearly uh, am familiar uh, with this was probably something that helped me with the postdoc um, a lot Mm. and for assistant professor position that's a little bit more difficult because there's a lot of um, unclear factors there again I think being open to going to places to new places is probably always something that opens up opportunities. And I'm guessing probably on the side of people who review applications, if someone has more experience or they have like, I'm not exactly sure what they they consider, but I think maybe things like if someone has a background from a different place, say US, and now they're uh, trying to apply for jobs in Europe, maybe this can be seen somehow positively because maybe they have some insights. Uh, that I can share uh, and otherwise I don't know I think I basically gave them a story about what I think my research will look like in the next uh, couple of years and somehow they seem to be convinced uh, for some reason <laughs> I'm yeah. sure they were convinced that you laid out a very good story for them um, so I, uh, so I'm also curious so you're not that far from graduating out of Hopkins and Mm -hmm. you graduated during the peaks of the pandemic. Uh, Mm -hmm. What was that kind of like for you both in terms of just like your prospects and kind of like your 
time to completion and things like that, but also just for your own kind of sanity of kind of wrapping up your degree, like right around these very hectic times and then having to look for the next step during these very hectic times. Right. So, uh, you know, this, there is something both, well, mostly negative, but also somehow it can help about being an international student that is that we sometimes have constraints that push us to get things done. So for example, I couldn't, um, for much of my PhD, see my parents because of visa limitations for Iranian students. And I was kind of hoping to finish my PhD soon anyway, so that I could see them. And um, that basically meant that Unlike some of my friends that said, okay, for pandemic now, we're going to take it slow and move a little bit slower. I wanted to still move it as fast as I could. Um, and of course, I was kind of sad that I missed out on like the last year I could be in Hopkins and some of the experiences I wished I could have. But at least somehow, interestingly, this kind of limitation some, sometimes seems to push us a little bit uh, in the direction of trying to get things done uh, faster. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, was there any like, did it did it interrupt your research at all? Because I know, like, for example, like I work with animals, and I physically couldn't go into the lab for a time. So I couldn't collect data. But for I know you do more theoretical work. So I imagine not. But I was just curious, like if it impacted your research and all and if it did, you know, how you kind of got around it as best as you could. Mm -hmm. So yes, and no, because I think it kind of impacted everyone somehow. Um, but as, as you said, like at least the fact that my research is theoretical meant that not having access to lab resources was not a big deal. But for example, the Google internship that you mentioned, I was hoping this would be an in-person internship and it ended up being a remote internship, which meant that both we couldn't access Google code base and that meant that the kind of work I did was different and it became actually more research-like. And also, you know, it might have been a different experience if I could be there in person. So it kind of impacted me in a sense that maybe I didn't really get the kind of industry experience I wanted from that internship. But again, I am maybe lucky enough that my work was in a way that I, it didn't have to be interrupted. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so... Um... You know, I think a lot of people who are considering the postdoc route, I'm also considering the postdoc route, um, worry that basically the postdoc is just going to be more of like the same. Uh, and I think a lot of people try to pick something a little bit different. But I'm curious for you, you know, what are some of the things that like you really enjoy about your current postdoc position that you maybe didn't get in your graduate degree or even if you did get in your graduate degree and it's just maybe uh, a little different or a little more amplified now? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it is a bit different. It also depends on the person and I guess what they decide to do in their postdoc. So, for example, postdoc seems to me to be a good place between a PhD and uh, an academic job because now I kind of can mentor students that are in my group, but I'm not their only advisor, so maybe I can... It, I have some assistance in mentoring them. Uh, and for example, I will have more mentoring situ uh, basically situations here as a postdoc than I would have had in, as a PhD student. 
um, collaboration goes a bit faster because now I know more people and I kind of have a better idea of what I want to do. So it seems like something in between becoming a faculty and a PhD student. Um, I don't know what it would be for other people. If other people are considering industry, postdoc could potentially be a situation where they can shift research area a little bit, but maybe that will be a bit more risky. So this is something I considered if I wanted to switch research area, but then it's a little bit risky because as I said, it's a short period of time. So maybe if you spent like half of it doing something new, then you kind of run a little bit out of time. Uh, but it could also be an option like that for people. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, I can imagine you said it's somewhere between a PhD and an academic job. Both of those can be very stressful, very time intensive. So I imagine that the guess in between is also stressful and time intensive. Uh, so for you in your own like personal life, how do you um, balance like your research and work life and like your personal and fun life like I know you mentioned like there's a lot of mountains nearby and stuff like that so I you might be exploring those a little bit but um you know what are some of the strategies you use to balance your like personal life and your work life and what are some of the fun things that uh where you're at kind of affords you to do that as well uh, yeah, indeed, the mountains <laughs> help because every time the weather is nice or, in fact, even if it snows and I think I can do something in the mountains, I feel like I should get out and not do, I mean, on, on you know, off, out, off work hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> include enough, for example, exercise or like, for example, when I was in Hopkins, I was in the Taekwondo club and I did a bit martial arts, a bit of soccer and that kind of things. And they really help with the pressure and um, yeah, like I try to make it a habit to include things like this in uh, my um, schedule. And I think that has helped, even though I admit I haven't always been great at this whole work-life balance, but definitely adding activities like this. Like for example, I was in a choir in Hopkins, things like that definitely helped. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess, you know, we're, we're coming somewhat close to the end. So I'll, I'll ask a couple more questions. Um, I think the first of those being what you, you've kind of given a lot of kind of pieces of advice throughout for those students who are kind of in that last stage of their PhD, but, you know, what advice or thoughts do you have for current PhDs or like PhDs that are just now kind of transitioning out as they approach either the academic world or like the industry world or kind of like figuring out the deciding point between those two? Um, so I guess it's easier said than done, but I would uh, advise them to not be intimidated, I guess, uh, or at least I would tell them it's very natural for people to feel insecure. And if they feel insecure um, or under pressure, they should realize that all of us go through this and, you know, we require a little bit of persistence, but most of us make it. So at least I hope they realize that it's not them. It's like the process. So uh, everyone feels insecure in one way or the other. I think, I mean, of course, I'm not in everyone's mind, but I think everyone is somehow insecure. So I think they shouldn't think that it's something about them and they should keep it in mind that they belong and they can make it work. 
I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. And I think uh, you're probably more right than you know that I think everyone is a little bit, no matter what level you're at, is insecure, at least a little bit of their own abilities and talents. So I think it's always good to keep that in mind. Um, okay, thank you uh, so much. So I will end it uh, with this question, which is uh, what, what inspires you right now in the things you do both in just your work life, your personal life, or whatever that may be? What, what are things that you draw inspiration from now? Um, so I think nowadays I, uh, what inspires me the most are, I guess, people who face many obstacles and challenges and they still like push through and do everything they can for their dreams or a better life. I mean, I, I know there are examples of these people all, all around the world and I probably don't even hear about many of them, but for example, the young people, uh, back in my home country are examples of people that really inspire me because they are just very resilient. Um, yeah, I think just people that I think have been in rough situations but still made it make me always try harder. Wonderful. Uh, I think that's a great sentiment uh, to end this on. Uh, thank you uh, so much for your time. And I know Thanks. I myself and the people listening in uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was great talking to you.